Thank you for tuning in to the East Sonali Baptist Church podcast, where you will hear messages that are challenging to you in your walk with Jesus every week. We update our podcast weekly with new messages from Dr. Richard Sego. And now, Dr. Richard Sego. Psalm chapter 23. We've come to the seventh and final message on Psalm 23. I just want to say that on a personal level, I have been blessed through this study. It has brought peace and rest to my soul. It's helped me to understand life a little bit better as we travail through the valleys and the mountain peaks of the human experience. And it's helped me to love my shepherd, the Lord, even more as I better understand how he cares for me as his sheep. And I hope and I pray uh, this morning that it has also ministered to you in a variety of ways as we have studied this glorious, glorious psalm. The psalm begins and ends with the Lord. Of the first two words in the psalm, one of them is the word Lord, and of the final two words of the psalm, one of them is the Lord as well. In other words, all of Christianity begins and ends with the Lord. More personally, all of Christianity begins and ends in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So everything begins and ends with Him, and this psalm just helps us to see that. This psalm has helped us, I think, to journey, to understand this journey that the shepherd and the sheep take together. Now, this journey is filled, as we've noted over the, over the recent weeks, it's filled with dangers and pitfalls. It's filled with green pastures as well as still waters. It's filled with valleys, and yes, it's even filled with the discipline of the shepherd. It's filled with tables set and overflowing cups. And more importantly, however, it is filled with the presence of the shepherd. For David's declaration was, through all of it, you are with me and here's what I want you to know this journey that we're taking with the shepherd this journey ends up back at the shepherd's place it, it ends with him and everything in the middle is sustained by him as well so here's what we have in essence verse 6 is the final verse of the psalm it is the wrap up statement of the psalmist concerning all that he has written in Psalm 23 in the first five verses. Just by way of very, very brief review, here are the titles of the messages that I have preached to this passage. Trusting the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I can trust him. Resting in the shepherd because he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. I can rest in Christ even in a chaotic world restoring by the shepherd he restores my soul he leads me in the paths of righteousness that sheep has a tendency to get cast he has a tendency to roll over and can't right himself again but the shepherd restores him I'm thankful for restoration because I need it frequently <laughs> suffering with the shepherd yea though I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me 
We suffer in this life at times. It's not death itself. It feels like death. It smells like death, but it's just a shadow of death. Comforting by the shepherd. Your, your rod and your staff, David says, they, they comfort me. And then just as recently as last Sunday, providing by the shepherd. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and my cup runs over abundance. After all of that, David now comes and he makes a summation statement in what I am calling this morning the results of the shepherd's care. Now David, you know this, lived an up and down life. It was filled with great victories. It was filled with agonizing defeats. And for most of life, his life, he really pursued the heart of God. But he also pursued the forbidden beauty of Bathsheba. He enjoyed the, the luxury of the king's palace and also the misery of being on the run in the wilderness. He ate of the world's delicacies as well as feeling the pains of hunger as a fugitive. And with that in mind, with that as the backdrop of this life, David makes a statement in verse 6 that rings with an unwavering assurance. He may not know what the next day brings. He may not know what the next moment will provide, but as a sheep of the good, great, chief shepherd he holds some strong convictions about a couple things as he as he meditates on the care of the shepherd he then says in a declarative statement in the final verse that these are the results in his life from the shepherd's care and i want us to read about it together would you stand with me in honor of god's word this morning we're just reading one verse verse six what i'm struck by church is the simplicity, the simplicity of what David says in this final verse. After considering everything that we've been studying, all that he has said about the shepherd's care, here's his summation statement. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To which, Lord, we do give this morning a hearty amen. Thank you for your care as our great shepherd, as our good shepherd, as our risen chief shepherd. Lord, I pray this morning that we would digest the simplicity of the truth of this verse so that we can experience the profound effect that it can have on our life. Lord, in a world that is upside down in every way imaginable, how much we need assurance. Lord, we live in uncertain times, so we're grateful for the certain truth that David declares in this final verse. God, I pray it would minister to our heart this morning. I pray that it would settle our spirit. And I pray it would help us plant our feet and serve our generation until we're done. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Rather simple this morning. In fact, 
I'm not even going to be able to be a good Baptist this morning because I've only got two points. But that doesn't mean you're going to get out any earlier than normal, all right? Anyway, let me just share with you, as David gets to this final verse, he says there's really two results, as, as all-encompassing as everything that we've looked at in terms of the shepherd's care. He now says there are two results. Here's the first one. Are you with me? Here's the first one. Assurance for this life. Assurance for this life. You see, the phrase of verse 6 that screams assurance for this life is this word, surely. He doesn't lead off with maybe. He doesn't lead off with perhaps or probably or possibly. No, David says this. He uses this term, a term of certainty, surely. The word surely is the Hebrew word ak. If you spell it in English, it's A-K. And it is what is referred to as an adverbial particle. Adverbial particles make a strong positive assertion of truth. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you here is that this word in the Hebrew is a word that is used when a person wants to be emphatic about the truth that they are proclaiming. And that's what David is doing. He's not saying maybe. He's not saying possibly. He is saying surely. As a matter of fact, this word surely can be translated as only. And you may have a translation with you this morning that does translate it that way. Only goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This adds an even more emphatic statement of assurance. Hear me. Trials and tribulations make periodic visits to, their, to our life, do they not? There are seasons we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and it's dark and it's uncertain. There are moments when the enemies that we have surround the table in which we eat from. Uh, but, but listen to me. Only the goodness and mercy of God is here all the days of our life. There is no guesswork for David on this. He is supremely confident in his shepherd. He's seen too much of the shepherd's care. He's brought him and led him to this place to where he no longer lacks any assurance about this life. Essentially, what, what Psalm 23, 6 is, is it is, the, it is the Old Testament dynamic equivalent to Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good for those that love God and are called to His purpose. And then here David says it like this, Only, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He understands that when the Lord is your shepherd, He is for you. He says in Psalm 56, 9, This I know, here again, very emphatic language, This I know, God is for me. God has adopted you. And not only that, He's obsessed with you. He, he, you're part of His passion. And that brings, that brings assurance uh, to the sheep. We know from our study of the first five verses of Psalm 23 that the shepherd is passionate about his care of the sheep. He painstakingly provides for them, protects them, corrects them, and directs them. With first-hand experience of this, it brought David to proclaim very confidently, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness. What is that? We could say it like this. It is, it is the benefits that accrue 
to you from God. The actual word goodness is the word tov. It is an adjective that carries with it the widest, most, the broadest, most, most comprehensive sense. In other words, the idea is this. Not just compartmentalized goodness of God. In other words, God is not good to us in one area, but then not so good to us in another area. Or just marginally good to us in another area. No, His goodness toward us is infinite. It's the same word that God uttered upon completion of His creation. You recall this. God made everything. By the way, I subscribe to that. Amen? It's still just a theory of evolution and a bad one at that. Amen? It's not from goo to the zoo to you, trust me. So God makes everything. He surveys his own creation. And he looks at it and he makes this declaration. It is good. All of it. Comprehensively. From the mountains, from the great mountains of the Rockies. To the, to the seashore, to the Tennessee hills, wherever. He says it's all good. In its height and in its depth, it was good. In its width and in its breadth, it was good. In its quantity as well as its quality, it was as good. In its astronomical enormity to its microscopic intricacy, God says it is good. And that, dear friends, is the same character of goodness that the shepherd gives to the sheep. You know, a new phenomenon started happening in recent years. Well, I, I say it's new. It's probably not. We've probably always done it, but now we've codified it and named it. Here's what it is. Re-gifting. Now, I won't ask you if you've heard of it, because if you admit that you've heard it, you've probably done it. So here's the thought. So you get this gift, right? And, I, you know, it's not a bad gift. But it's not the greatest gift either. So you say, well, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll hold on to this. And when Christmas rolls around and our Sunday school class is having a party and we're playing Dirty Santa, you know what I'm talking about, that game, or whatever you might call it, I'll have this gift that I can give because after all, it's not all that great, so I won't mind parting with it. It's re-gifting. Now, on the other hand, we have some gifts that are special to us that we would never, ever consider giving away. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? A few Christmases ago, my, my wife really surprised me on Christmas. I, I, there was this box about this big. I didn't know what it was. And I, I opened it up and gasped for air because it was a Nick Saban signed football. And... Two things about that. It's my favorite team, and it came from my wife. So that, that gift is never going to be subject to regifting. Now, on the other hand, on my first Sunday here, y'all gave me... Y'all gave me a Phil Former signed football. And I'll leave it right there. Amen. Which, by the way, I would not regift. I actually think that's a pretty cool gift. It really is. But you get the point. So before I get in deep, deep, deep trouble, here's my point. I really am going somewhere with this. 
There are no gifts that we receive from God that we would consider being up for re-gifting. Now, now, don't get me wrong. We freely give away the gospel, right? Because the gospel perpetuates itself over and over again. But the gifts that we have from God are so precious, such a, such a high price we've been put on the commodity, commodity of a gift from God, that they will follow us right into eternity. If you and I were to list on paper all the manifestations of God, God's goodness, and we were able to do that with little or no distractions, we would be writing for a very long time. You and I are breathing borrowed air right now. You're alive because God so delicately and intricately made your body to be able to survive on this planet. You're saved only because of the cross and the Spirit's initiative to quicken you while you were dead in trespasses and sins. God's goodness is like the rivers of the world flowing down to water just one daisy. It's overkill. The immensity of God's goodness is greater than our capacity to even receive it fully. Goodness is chasing us. But not only goodness, mercy. Hesed in the Hebrew. Uh, some translations use the word loving kindness, which is a great synonym, if you will, for mercy. The idea here being that God is loyally committed to us. You may think of your relationship to him only in terms of your commitment to him, but our salvation also includes, and I would even say to an even greater extent, far greater extent, infinite greater extent, his commitment to you. You are in a unilateral covenant with God. God is in a unilateral covenant with his people that has been ratified by his very own blood. This is what I'm saying. He is committed to you unconditionally. In, in a world that doesn't understand this anymore, the, the idea of covenant, from the marriage right on up, because, because people treat the marriage covenant with very little respect and dignity at all. People in marriages all the time citing irreconcilable differences. Listen to me. I've been married 29 years. You and I have a whole bunch of irreconcilable differences. And it probably ain't going to change, but I love her, and we're committed to each other. We stood before God, our family, and the people of our church and committed our life one to another. Here's what I'm saying. I'll say it like John MacArthur says it. John MacArthur says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. I would, but it's not up to you. God is in a unilateral covenant with us. He's committed to us unconditionally. He's not committed to you if. He's committed to you because he's committed to you based on the finished work of his son as he's made atonement for our sin. On your best day, the shepherd is committed to you, and on your worst day, the shepherd is committed to you. My, or, or my assurance is lodged in the aspect of this, of this aspect of his character. My trust is in his love for me and his unwavering commitment to me as his own possession. And therefore, his goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. We're just unpacking this verse. The word follow is an interesting word. It's the word radoff. In the Hebrew, it carries the idea of pursue or hunt. Now, that's my kind of words, amen. 
David certainly knew what it was like to be the hunted. You recall his history? He was hunted like an animal by Saul. And we see the divine sovereign protection of God all through that story. He was hunted by Absalom, his very own son. And both times his life was at stake because both men desired to kill him. They both wanted his throne. Or Saul knew that he was a threat to his throne, I should say. However, at the same time that he's being hunted by Saul and later on by Absalom, he's also being hunted by something else during those days. He's also being hunted and pursued by the goodness and mercy of God. And those dynamics, those elements are hunting, or they're sustaining him, they're, they're strengthening him, they were encouraging him. Listen to me, Saul hunted him. They, or, 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 or Absalom hunted him, but only goodness and mercy found him. Goodness and mercy followed him out on the range as a young shepherd boy. Goodness and mercy followed him as the king of God's people. Uh, good, goodness and mercy followed him during troubled and tragic family life. Goodness and mercy followed him even while he was on the run. Sometimes, folks, we, we are running this race. We are living this life, and troubles and despair, it seems like, are chasing us, but then we just see a cloud of dust, and it's mercy and goodness of God that runs past the troubles and leaves them behind like Roadrunner passing Wiley Coyote. And they catch us, and they find us. A few years ago, I'm thinking like 12 to 15 years ago, my wife was sitting in the, in the DMV in Dothan, Alabama, in the Department of Motor Vehicles. And I think she had gone there for a, a license renewal, driver's license renewal. So, um, like, I, I've been to the one here in Athens. You go in there, and there's a little automated thing. You punch in the right stuff, and you pull that little ticket, you know, and then they call you according to your number. Well, uh, we're not nearly that advanced in Alabama. So we, she walked in, and they took this little, they gave her this little plastic placard with a number on it. And there's several signs in that room that says, do not leave the building with the placard. Now, the point being is that, you know, people will get it. They say, oh, I must be 30 minutes out. I'll, I'll go out here, and if they're a deacon or something, they'll go out and smoke a cigarette while they're waiting. So, so they so no, you're not supposed to leave the room. And then, because the personnel, they don't want to have to be chasing you down. Well, Julie says, she's sitting there, and, and this guy walks in. And she said, this guy had on the brightest, loudest suit that she had ever seen. I mean, it was like a peach color suit with a top hat. And he walks in, and he takes his placard, and he sits down too. And she said, you know, it's just like, it's just like something in this picture doesn't fit. Well, in a little bit, he walks out. He takes his placard, and he walks outside. Not long after that, a couple state troopers step into the room because you know where you get your driver's license, there's usually a couple state troopers hanging around to give the driver's test. That's the way they used to do it. You used to have to take that test with a state trooper. So they ask, hey, have, do any of you know or have seen so-and-so? Well, none of those people in there knew um, his name. Well, about that time, the guy comes back in. The troopers engage him, slam him up against the wall, cuff him, frisk him, pull out a weapon, and haul him back in the back room. Come to find out, 
couple days prior to that, this man had robbed the convenience store. And unbeknownst to him, they had caught his likeness on the security cameras. So they had identified him. Now, this is one of those dumbest criminals kind of things. This man comes to renew his driver's license. So they already know who he is. There's already a warrant out for his address. So as soon as they punch in this man's information for the driver's license, ding, 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 the troopers know he's there. They say, we're going to go and nab this guy. So I thought to myself, Julie and I rehearsed that over and over in our mind. I said, you know, man, that, can't, that thing could have really gone wrong. You're sitting in a small room with a dozen or 15 other people. This man is armed. He's desperate. I mean, you could, you could just envision where that might go. So there's a whole lot that walked into that room today that was chasing, following this man. But I'm so grateful this morning. I just don't want to think that anything is coincidental. That goodness and mercy followed my wife, ran after my wife into that room today, that day. And protected. And i got to tell you this final part of the story, and i got to move on. So you're not supposed to leave the room, right, with this placard. So after they slam this guy up against the wall, cuff him and haul him out of there, there's a little old man sitting there, and he spoke up, and he said, Y'all, they're serious about not leaving with this placard. <laughs> True story. I promise it happened just like that. It, I promise you it happened just like that. It did. But aren't you glad that goodness and mercy is following you? Hey, listen to this. This word follow is in the, what is known as the call imperfect form in the Hebrew, indicating an ongoing, continuing action of the pursuer. You see, that's why the Scripture says all the days of my life. Not just the good and the glorious days, but the gloomy, gut-wrenching times of life as well. And, and this is the way life is with the shepherd. It's, it's kind of like baking a cake. A cake, a, a baker puts, puts a number of ingredients into a cake that if you were to have to consume those ingredients by themselves, they wouldn't be very, I mean, you have, have you had a mouthful of flour lately? Or just oil, you know? Now the eggs, I can deal with. But what happens is none of those ingredients are necessarily all that great in and of themselves but when you add them all together the bitter and the sweet and you and you mix it all together it it can and hopefully becomes a delicious dessert well that's our life there's a pinch of bitter over here and a pinch of bitter over there there's a tablespoon of sugar and sweet here there, there's a teaspoon of heartache and a dash of temptation and there's blended together with some happiness and the icing of goodness and mercy is placed on it and it becomes a wonderfully sweet life. I really do believe as out of place in this world as we are, we get a little piece of heaven right here. That's our life. In spite of living in a sin-wrecked world, we can enjoy life immensely. We have assurance and confidence, and ultimately we will be hunted down by the goodness and mercy of our Savior, our Shepherd. 
I gather from this verse that David is completely satisfied with the shepherd's care. Listen to what David wrote while he was being pursued by Absalom. He's in the wilderness of Judah. And this is what he says. Psalm 63 records it. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I think he's recalling those great glorious days that he spent in the temple of God back in Jerusalem. So then he makes this statement in verse number three. He's out in the wilderness. Remember, he's, it's, it's, he's, peri- I mean, he's perishing. He's, he's starving. He says, because your loving kindness, that's that word mercy, your loving kindness, and then get this, is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Even, even on the run, goodness and mercy has found me. It's found me. We often say you can't hide from troubles, and you can't, can you? You can't. They'll find you. But let me tell you what. The goodness and mercy will find you. And it's the goodness and mercy of God that will give you buoyancy so that you don't sink under during the times of trouble. Can I get a witness? Amen? Let me share this with you. John Piper says this, one of his greatest statements. God is most magnified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Only people satisfied in God can make a statement like David made in Psalm 63. Let me share one more with you. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the field, or the fold rather, excuse me, there will be no herd in the stalls. Let me tell you what he's saying. Though I get laid off, though I lose my job, though my business goes under. This is his final statement. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. And then, and then the word joy is used as a verb here. He says, I will joy in the God of my salvation. In other words, he said, when my whole world falls apart, when the farm goes under, I'll rejoice. There is no other way to account for such words apart from the satisfaction that can only be found in him as goodness and mercy is pursuing and following and catching us all the days of our life. So what's the result of understanding the length, breadth, and depth of the shepherd's care? We have assurance for this life. I've got to move on and get to the second point. It's so simple. Assurance for this life, and then here's the second one, assurance for the life to come. David begins this phrase in verse 6 with just as much confidence as he did the first one. He doesn't use words like maybe or hopefully. He doesn't use phrases like I hope so or if I'm lucky. He says this, rather, I will dwell. I will dwell. The word forever lets us know that he's not just talking about the temple back in Jerusalem. He's talking about God's ultimate house. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about heaven. Forever lets us know that. I want to teach you a little principle here. I think it's something that you probably already know, but let me share it with you anyway. Satan always gives us the best first and the worst last. 
he always puts what's attractive and pleasing to the eye and to the flesh out there first. And he never warns the victim about the long-term consequences or actions of, of their choices. I mean, you'll see some rugged, you know, handsome outdoor type in a TV commercial. They're sitting around a campfire. They're enjoying camaraderie. And one of them lifts up a beer for a, to a toast and says this, it doesn't get any better than this. That's right, it only gets worse. The commercial doesn't tell you about the thousands of lives lost yearly in alcohol-related accidents or the neglect of children due to family arguments intensified by alcohol or the, or the millions of dollars spent to reha rehabilitate people uh, or, or alcohol-related illnesses or things of that nature. No, Satan shows the great outdoors. He shows the chummy friends and the warm, fuzzy memories. He always gives you the best first and the worst last. That's why there's a fundamental flaw in Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. This is not our best life. It's not even close. It can be a good life. It can be a blessed life. It can be an abundant life, but it's not our best life. The best one is in eternity. It's still to come. There's more to look forward to. But what does God do? Listen to me. What does God do? He gives you the really good now and the absolute over-the-top later. There's much joy and beauty to behold in, in daily life. I, we, we took the bices out to Bald River Falls yesterday just to get out for a little bit. I mean, there's so much to enjoy in this world that God's given us, right? But to use a phrase that we'll all get here in southeast Tennessee, you ain't seen nothing yet. The word dwell here is the word jeshab. It means to sit down or settle. The idea is being at home, finally, being at home. Like the sheep and the shepherd that we've been studying, this life is a journey. We, we, are, we are on a pilgrimage. We're, we're traveling through these valleys, often where there are predators. We're, we're traveling through these shadowy areas. We're going to encounter some, some difficulties, some struggles, some struggles. Now, there's some green pastures and quiet waters along the way. Praise God. But don't you ever mistake them for home. Hebrews 11 what the Bible says about Abraham. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as, a, as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise for he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. In describing the life of Abraham our life is described as well. A Abraham was a sojourner. He's a pilgrim. But, but he's not a blind sojourner altogether. He didn't know where he was going on earth, but he was that whole time, the Bible says, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And now he dwells in that city. We are on a journey as well. But one day we're going home, and guess how long we get to stay? Forever. Growing up, one of my best friends, he still is a good friend of mine, he's, a, he's an Assembly of God preacher down in Georgia. His name was Kurt McCullough, so he's just down the road, and, you know, we'd, he'd come to my house, or I'd go to his house, and we'd play and ball or whatever. And a lot of times what would happen, Mom, can I go down to Kurt's house? Yeah, you can go down to Kurt's house, but you tell Miss Martha. Miss Martha was his mama. 
He said, you tell Miss Martha to tell you when it's 5 o'clock because you've got to come home for supper. So I go down to Kurt's house. I say, Miss Martha, Mama says I've got to be home at 5 o'clock, so you tell me when it's 5 o'clock. So us boys off and running, playing, you know, just having a great time. We weren't sitting under air conditioner playing, punching some little things on a ball on a game. We was out there roughhousing, playing, getting dirty, scratch, skin up. I mean, you know, just being boys. So all of a sudden, man, we're having a great time. And all of a sudden, Miss Martha sticks her head out the door. Your time's up. You got to go home. Your mama said you got to be home at 5. Oh, man, I'm five I'd take off and go home. Hey, you know what? When we finally get to his place, there will be no more announcements coming that time is up. We will be eternally home and we'll be there with all those who have demonstrated on this earth that they love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Your destination and mine is not wherever, it's forever. You see, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, we start studying, studying the book of Philippians tonight, by the way, teaches us that our citizenship's in heaven. Our bodies just need to catch up with our citizenship. Soon we'll be going home. If you're a citizen of the United States and you're traveling in a foreign country, you know, you, you realize when you go to a foreign country, you're only there for a, a period of time. You're, most passports, most countries will only let you stay there for 90 days. But when I've been in a foreign country for a prolonged time, and for me, that's never been longer than about 17 days, it wears on you. I, you you're eating different foods, so your stomach don't feel the same. You know what I'm saying? You're eating different foods. There's a language barrier. Nothing looks... Familiar. Now, by the way, I want to say, I'm not saying that negatively. I enjoy every moment that I'm there, especially there when I'm on a gospel mission. But there's just something about it when you finally touch back down the States where, where things are familiar and you're so glad to be home. You're tired of living out of a suitcase. You're tired of living out of a hotel room or a tent, whatever the case may be. Food, faces, and family that you finally recognize. It's, it's wonderful to return home, isn't it? From anywhere, really. That's the way we feel now, I think. We're, we are here on a passport. That passport expires at various times. Sometimes that passport ends in childhood. Sometimes people live into their 20s, 50s, 80s. Some people are blessed to get into triple digits and live to be 100, but that passport is limited. So we're, we're here, and we know down deep in our heart, because we're believers, God's put eternity in our hearts, and there's just something in us now that resonates. This isn't my home. I feel, I don't think I'm alone. I feel more out of place every day. I feel out of step with this culture. I'm, I'm out of sync with the values of this world. I'm out of tune with the morals of this society. I'm out of balance with what this world loves as opposed to what this world hopes, hates. I, I want to go home. That's how it's going to feel one day when we enter heaven. What you thought was your home on this earth, that you're living on earth, will feel like the worst tourist trip imaginable when you finally get to heaven. You'll, you'll recognize what heaven is. It is your final forever home. We're, um, we're trying to get a house built right now, so in, in the process of that, some of mine and Julie's conversations, you, you know how this goes. For those of you who've done it, you're trying to figure out what you want in your home, right? And we find ourselves making this statement. Well, since there's a good possibility this might be our forever home, let's do the little upgrade right here. 
we say forever home, what we're trying to say is, God, please let us stay. <laughs> we don't want to move anymore. We love these people. They tolerate us, so Lord, just let us stay. But we know down deep in our heart that ultimately, there's no forever home on this planet for us. It's our temporary stopping off place. Because there's coming a day when we're going to get to our forever home and we're going to enjoy a place where the sun never sets because the sun of the living God is going to light that place forever. We're going to be in a place where a death is abolished, tears are wiped away, and where we get to worship and serve the Lamb of God for the rest of our life. That will be, and only then, our forever home. Church, I'm homesick, and I hadn't even been home. But I'm longing for it, amen? Because I know out there somewhere there's a builder, there's a city whose builder and maker is God. And he's suited and fashioned me to live there, and he's suited and fashioned that city to house me. And it's going to be the perfect place. What are the results of the shepherd's care? All the bases are covered. This life that I live now, as well as the one to come, it's secure. All made possible by our good, great, and chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Have you surrendered your life to him as Lord? If not, today would be a great day to do that. As your good shepherd, he has paid the price for the penalty of sin in your life and mine. Because the Bible says we're all sinners. Come short of the glory of God. There's wages to be paid for that sin. You're going to have to try to pay them for all eternity. You're never going to be able to pay up. That's why you stay in hell forever. But Jesus, with just one drop of blood, paid it every, every bit of it, comprehensively. If you will now surrender, repent of your sin, and come to Christ, he'll save you. And your life now, as well as the life to come, can be secure. I'm going to ask you to bow with me for just a moment. The old song says, When he comes, our glorious king, and all his ransom home to bring, then anew his song will sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Is he your Savior? If not, I urge you to come this morning and give your life to him. Maybe you already know the Lord, and you find yourself where you just feel like you're just being pursued by troubles and hard times. Well, let me just remind you of the text again. Goodness and mercy is following you as well, pursuing you, and it will catch you. Just keep your eyes open, your spiritual eyes open, so you don't miss it. But maybe this has encouraged you. It's brought a sense of refreshment and assurance to you. And I, I would urge you this morning to maybe spend a little time in prayer and praise, maybe come down to the altar, thank God for his goodness and his grace and his mercy to your life. And if you need to unite with the Eastern Olive family, we always encourage you as well. Uh, I'll be down front this morning. Josh will be joining me down there as well. If you have a decision you need to make where you need to talk to one of us, you need to be prayed with, or you want to let us know that you've invited Christ into your life, we urge you to come. Father, now we ask, do your eternal work in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Easton Ollie Baptist Church Podcast. Be sure to go to our website, eastonolly.church, to find more messages like you just heard 
and to find out how to be more involved at Easton Alley. If at any point during this message you made a decision to follow Jesus or you would just like more information about Easton Alley, email info at God bless and have a great week.